This is 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You may be seated. Olivia. Now you may be wondering why I am holding a microphone today. And the reason would be because um, about, I don't know, an hour ago, I realized that I wasn't sure where I'd sit down the lapel mic after last week. I have misplaced it. You might be thinking, that's odd. How could someone misplace a microphone? And I would tell you not to underestimate me. The surprising thing is not that I have misplaced the microphone. The surprising thing is that this is the first time in more than three years of wearing it every Sunday that I have misplaced the microphone. But no one panic. I am sure that I would find it if I had a little time to look for it. But for today, we're holding a microphone. Today we're, we're looking at one of the most profound passages in the entire Bible. This is a passage that gives us as clear a picture of God as any other. Today we're talking about love. In the passage that Olivia just read for us, the word love occurs in one form or another 27 times in 14 verses. The Apostle John could not have been clearer about what he is trying to talk about, what the main theme of this passage is, 27 times in 14 verses. And this is the heart of the letter of 1 John. Everything up to this point has been building up to this passage. And everything that comes after rounds off or refers back to this passage. What we're talking about today is the heart of the epistle of 1 John. And so to start with, we need to know what love means. Many of you who are in youth group will know this definition of love um, that I, I feel like is the best representative of Christian love, and it's this. Christian love is seeking another's highest good. 
I know that some of you are note takers, so I will say that again. Christian love is seeking another's highest good. Now, this is important because it helps us to understand who God is at his very core. One of the weird but very wonderful things about Christianity is that we worship a God who is three and one, a trinity, three persons, one nature. I meant to bring it up with me, but I just reread a book. Um, we, Pastor Ben recommended it for Maggie and I for her internship, and to be able to discuss it, I wanted to uh, familiarize with myself with it again and reread the book for the first time in eight years. It was excellent. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. I'd forgotten how good it was. It's accessible. It's not very long. I really do want to recommend it. If anyone wants to borrow my copy, they're welcome to. Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. I would be showing it to you if I wasn't forgetful. Remember the microphone. Now, John says something very specific about God here. It's something that isn't said so clearly anywhere else in the Bible. He says that God is love. Now, some people think that this means that God is love like he's a lot of things, like he's just, like he's the creator, like he's king. But actually, this is something much deeper than that. When you think about God, what are some of the ways that we refer to him or the Bible refers to him? This isn't rhetorical. I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the ways the Bible refers to God? What are some of the things it calls God or that you call God? Holy. What else? Father. What else? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Absolutely. The one I was looking for that came quickly was Father. Father is, if not the most common, then one of the most common ways God is referred to in Scripture. Over and over again, more than a hundred times in the Bible, God is referred to as Father. Now, lest we come to think that one gender is more like God than the other, we also find that God is called Mother multiple times throughout the Bible. Fathers usually chosen because in the ancient world, they believed that the father was responsible for giving life. And so, they call God Father. Now, the title is important, and here's why. It means that part of the core identity of our God is parenthood. It's the love of a parent for a child. And we see this in the father's love for Jesus. In John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, you have loved me before the creation of the world. Before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God that we worship was a father loving his son, giving life to his son. When we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, this is important for us to understand. The Father is the source of the Son and the Spirit. The Bible uses some very specific words. The Son is referred to as eternally begotten. 
in the spirit eternally proceeds from the Father. Now, we don't know exactly what eternally begotten or eternally proceeds means. And so I like to use the word source. The Father sources the Son and the Spirit eternally before the beginning. They were already being sourced by the Father. Before there was time, God was a Father giving life, loving His Son. Love is at the core of who God is. Have you ever known that person who was so warm and so loving that you not only thoroughly enjoy being around them, but they made you want to be a more loving person? I know some people like that. And according to John, those people are pictures of who God is. According to John, God is love in such a profound and powerful way that you cannot know him without being captured by him and becoming more loving. When I try to think of an example, I think of Lisa with her preschool kids. I have sat and watched my wife teach preschoolers. Now, I love being and working with kids, and I'm usually pretty good at keeping their attention, but not at the preschool age. I cannot expend enough energy to keep their attention for more than just a few minutes, but I have watched my wife stand in front of a group of 20 preschoolers as they sit like they're supposed to be and look up at her and listen. It's amazing. It's a gift. It truly is. I'm hearing some, some echoes that that's amazing back there. Now, here's what I think is happening. I think that those kids truly perceive the love Lisa has for them, and they respond to it. I think that's what's happening. They know she loves them, and it makes them want to listen, makes them want to obey, and makes them want to respond. That's a picture of what God is like, someone who loves so much that the love changes those that receive it. This is who our God is. He's love. And this is beautiful. This is a beautiful picture. But, when, but then, moving forward, John has to ruin it a little. He has to tell us something that takes us from a wide-eyed sense of wonder and excitement and turns it into shock. Verse 11 reads this way. And by the way, if you're someone who highlights or underlines, there's a few verses coming up. I want to really recommend that you do that. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, we're supposed to love one another like God loves us. And God's love is revealed perfectly by sending Jesus, his son, into the world to be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. That's the model that we're supposed to follow as we love one another. And you can get a sense of it, of the power of this kind of love, standing at the foot of the cross and gazing at the length God's love caused him to go for us. Looking at Jesus hanging there on the cross, it is impossible not to sense the power and the possibility provided by that love. When the church got a hold of that love, amazing things happened. Christians who were shy 
found their voices and shared the gospel. Fearful Christians found courage. Those who were beat down found the strength by the power of the Spirit to stand back up because they knew that the most loving thing, the highest good, is for a person to know the love of God. Throughout the history of the church, when Christians have gotten hold of this love of God, they've endured all kinds of awful and difficult things to share the gospel because hearing the gospel and responding to it is the highest good of anyone. I find it difficult just to show love when someone cuts me off in traffic. And yet, this love has led Christians through the ages, during persecutions and torture and even death, to echo the words of Jesus and to say, Father, forgive them. It's breathtaking. That's the kind of love God has called us to. That's our calling. But it's not a shock Yet, though, the shock comes with verse 12. Verse 12 reads this way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So what's John saying here? In the Gospel of John, John tells us that no one really knows who God is until they look at Jesus. That's John 1.18. But here... He says that no one really knows who God is until they see him revealed in the life of Christians. In other words, a non-believer, a person on the outside, should be able to look at the church and learn about the love of God through how we treat one another and them. Now, one of the things that I love so much about this church is that it is a welcoming and loving community. But if we ask those who are not connected to church in our culture what they think of Christians or what they think of people who go to church, the number one response is that Christians are judgmental. They also say things like they're gossipy, they're unwelcoming, they think they're better than other people. Now, that's not to say that those things are present in a strong way at Calvary. Of course, we're not perfect. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I so am thankful for the loving community here. But something we have to acknowledge is that the church as a whole has failed to make the culture around us feel loved and welcomed. That's not something we've always done a good job at. And so one of the things we have to do is we have to learn, when we struggle with it, we have to learn to look outward and to care about justice. And here's what I mean. When we talk about justice, our, our English ears hear something different than what the Bible means when it uses the word justice. In our culture, justice means a punishment that fits the crime. You break my window, justice says you have to pay for it, right? You kill someone, sometimes justice says the government kills you back. Not saying that's good, not saying it's bad, I'm saying that is the idea of justice in our culture, a punishment that fits the crime. And the punishment fitting the crime idea is present in scripture, but it's never called justice. In the Bible, justice is about restoration. 
not punishment. In our culture, justice means you punish the wrongdoer. In the Bible, justice means the one who was wronged has what was taken returned to them. Justice is about restoration. So you break my window, I get my window back. Someone I love is taken. The promise in Scripture of the ultimate justice is that they will be returned. The Bible talks about justice as restoration, not punishment. One thing that has been revealed to many of us, is that there is a particular area in our culture that has been denied justice. If you've been paying attention to the news for the past few months, it's impossible to have missed. While the news has quieted down a bit in recent weeks, I don't think that the national conversation about racism is over. And it's important, if we're going to love our brothers and sisters of color, that we look hard at whether or not there is something we can do to help provide justice. I don't know where you are individually on the question of racism. If you think it's still present in our culture in pandemic proportions, or if you think that it's almost entirely gone. One thing that we cannot deny is that our nation has awful racist actions in our past. The first slaves were brought to America in 1619, 157 years before our country was founded. Now, some people will say that means that's when America was truly founded because it was founded on slavery, and I I disagree with that completely. But from 1619 to Jim Crow laws that did not become illegal until 1965 means there were 346 years of government-sanctioned racism in America. We cannot let ourselves be fooled into thinking that all the harmful effects of 346 years of evil against people of color has been completely undone in 50 Whatever you think of racism today, I do not believe that we can pretend that there isn't still justice to be done. There are still people alive who were beaten by police for marching for civil rights. We cannot think that there is no more justice to be done. We will certainly not all agree with what that looks like, but the church should be a beacon for it. And here's why. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, your love for God and your love for people come out of the same door. If you're unwilling to love a brother or sister, then something is wrong. Because you cannot love God without loving others. Now, I believe that that means that we may need to take a very hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves if there is in us an unwillingness to love. And that can take several forms. I've spoken about one. But it can also look like that person at church who drives you crazy. Or that person in your life that you love 
to gossip about. Or that person in your life who you know needs something from you. And you're just not willing to give it. That family member that you just can't make yourself be polite to. That person at work that you just cannot show love to. Or the brother or sister in Christ who's a person of color and says, listen to me, something is still wrong. Please listen. Now this can be scary to really, truly, ruthlessly examine your own heart. It's a frightening thing to think that maybe we've been wrong or done wrong, or maybe we've benefited from a historical injustice, and that maybe, maybe, there's some justice to be done about that, some restoration to be done about that. That can be scary. The call to love is exactly that scary. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. Because perfect, fear, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The kind of love that we are called to, that we are empowered toward by the Holy Spirit, leaves no room for fear. And we have to ask ourselves, what did we expect when we signed on for Christian faith? Did we expect that having the true living God come to live in us and inviting us to live in him would be an easy thing? I hope not. God has taken us completely seriously when we tell him that our allegiance is in him. And as we read these verses today, they are asking us, will we take him seriously too? Enough to look at our own hearts, to examine them ruthlessly, and to root out by the power of the Spirit all parts of ourselves not committed to seeking the highest good of those around us. Can we be a community known for love, that loves one another fiercely, that resolves differences by going to one another with a generosity of spirit, always assuming the best and not the worst, of one another, speaking graciously, kindly, mercifully. Because hear me, if we can't do that stuff, we're not ready for anything bigger than that. If you can't be kind to the people who love you in your church family, you're not ready to be kind to the ones that are really difficult to be kind to yet. And you're not ready to really dig down deep to see if there's something else going on, other places where love needs to be shown. So I challenge you today, as you think about the people in your life, can you love them? Can you truly seek their highest good? And then more than that, when there are people who say something's wrong, whatever you end up deciding afterwards, can you at least show the love of being willing to listen? Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings, Lord. We thank you for your word.
We thank you for the truth, the promise that you are love, that your love is absolute, Lord, and that it is given freely to us. And Lord, we praise you for being the kind of God that loves always, that knows us through and through, the very best of us, the very worst of us, and loving us absolutely. We thank you for being able to look down on us and smile. Even though we are fallen and imperfect. And God, what we ask is that you help us to have a clear vision inward. To see ourselves clearly. To be able to root out by the power of your spirit those parts of us that do not honor you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to catch your love, and spread it around, to share it freely. Whether it be with one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, or those that we come into contact with, who may or may not know you, may we be a people that when they look at us, they see you. We pray these things in your son's holy In precious name, amen.